Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod. I am Brittany Lewis. And I'm Eric Eddings. And today, we have a we have a guest. Special guest. Yes, our producer, Kate Parkinson Morgan. Hey guys. Hey. What's hey. up? Okay. So uh a few months back, I heard about this card game. Bidwis. <laughs> Spades. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it's this card game called Trading Races. Okay. Don't know that one. Uh-uh. And the object of the game is to quote unquote out black. Your opponent. Interesting. Say say more. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how do you play this game? How do you outblack someone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell us, Kate. Okay, let me explain. So you have a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. There's a black person on each card. Okay. A famous black person. So MLK, Sojourner Truth, Oprah, Kanye. Got it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And each player gets a hand of five cards. So huh. I gave you five cards, Eric five cards. Mm-hmm. And each person plays what they think is the quote-unquote blackest card in their hand. So who would that okay. be for you, Brittany? Um, Oprah. Yeah. Obviously. Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Eric, what do you play? I don't know. Um, Pick a random famous black person. I mean, it's hard to top Oprah. Oprah versus Kanye. Eric, you get Kanye. Ooh. This is inherently unfair already. Whatever. I don't care. That's the, that's the, that's the hand that you were dealt. Okay. Um, and then you fight it out to decide which card in that round is, quote, unquote, the most black. So you each make an argument. So, like, I would be like, Oprah is the blackest because Oprah was in the color purple. Mm-hmm. And she introduced the world to Tyler Perry. Interesting. Okay, I would maybe say Kanye is the blackest because he created a a fake fraternity called Broke Five Broke. We ain't got it. (laughs) Yeah, I still don't have it, by the way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that works. I don't think that tops. That's hard to, you know, color purple. It doesn't get much blacker than she that. She could have just been in the color purple. That could have just been. She could have just played Sophia and then Game Oprah over. wins. Game over. Yeah. Okay, so you've decided Oprah wins that round. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so the person who wins the most rounds wins at the whole game. So that's the game. What do you guys think so far? That's like something something people joke about a lot. At least black people joke about is like, <laughs> especially these days. Yeah. Like giving people away. Like can we <laughs> can, can we give back? Like can we give back on Rosa? Yeah. We do it all the time. We're like, who can be? Who can who can stay? Who can go? Exactly. Yeah. So there's like people like Omarosa in the card deck, but there are also some white people too. So uh, Bill Clinton. Oh, <laughs> Iggy Azalea. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Haven't heard one that's a winner yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's not many white winners in the deck, actually. John Brown? <laughs> <laughs> With you there. It seems like something, like, that would have been really fun, like, 
it's you know what I'm saying we were like in school or something like that. Everybody yeah. was kind of sitting around drinking, bullshitting, doing nothing. Yeah. Or like, or like at a cookout. Yeah, at a cookout, a, maybe family reunion. Yeah. Thanksgiving. My parents come every year for Thanksgiving, and we do a whole thing with my sisters. It would, that would be really fun at Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, how would you feel if I played it with you at Thanksgiving? <laughs> well, you would. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer for the audience, I'm white. Yeah, first of all, is that what people say on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, first of all. First off. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could, you, could, you could come to Thanksgiving and have a plate. You can eat. But like, uh, I don't think, I don't really think that's your jam. This just also seems risky for your life. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, we love you. Yeah. But mm-hmm. somebody else might come for you. <sighs> Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I feel similarly. I <laughs> would not want to play it at your Thanksgiving dinner table or <laughs> anywhere, really. Why wouldn't you want to play it? Aside from the avoiding a ass whipping. It doesn't seem like a conversation where I can add that much. What am I, as a white person, going to add to a conversation about who's blacker than who? Yeah, good answer. So this game, you guys, is a real card game. Like, the creator raised money for it on Kickstarter this spring, and you can go online and buy a pack if you want to play it. Wow. But here's the catch. Mm. The creator of this game wants everyone to play. Oh. <laughs> so, like, everyone including, like, like you. She sees it as an educational tool for people like me. Interesting. That is... Not that was not my original hypothesis for this game. <laughs> that was what I thought. Yeah, I mean, me too. I thought it was just a game that like black people would play together at parties. Yeah, I really wanted to understand her vision for the game. Like, why does she think it's an educational tool, and why does she think people like me should also be playing it? So I called her up. I think the beautiful moment about trading races is that you have these opportunities to educate folks. So this is the creator. Her name is Kenyatta Forbes, and Trading Races is a side project for her. She actually works in tech, and she used to be a teacher. And she told me she's seen some really powerful teaching moments actually happen during the game. So, like, this one time, she was playing the game at a bar with other Black folks. Okay. And this white guy called Brad asks to join. And in one round, he plays the Clarence Thomas card. And he starts making this argument saying, like, yeah, Clarence Thomas was really great for the civil rights movement. And their faces are, like, stone cold. And they're just like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, crap. Like, I realized I have the wrong... I'm thinking of the wrong person. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And they just start, like, cracking up. And then they actually give him a lesson on Clarence Thomas. They're like, this is actually who Clarence Thomas was. Here's what he didn't do for the civil rights movement. (laughs) And she says that Brad told them he was really grateful for the opportunity to learn more. And he's like, oh, okay, I never knew that. And um, I think at the end, I'm pretty sure at the end of the night, he actually ended up buying a deck. And so there's like this beautiful learning thing that happens. And I've seen it in a couple of places I've facilitated it, where a person of color Okay, how do I explain it? So you you ever been in like a classroom or seen like a, a teacher reading a story to a kindergartner or a preschooler? Yeah. The the way that their body, right? They're leaned forward and they're like resting on every single word. Mm-hmm. That transfer of information, that beautiful moment, I sometimes see that happen during a round play with trading races. 
So Kenyatta sees the game as a chance for people to learn more about Black history and more about, like, really big historical figures, like beyond Harriet Tubman and MLK. And also she sees it as a chance to break down some of the really, like, messed up stereotypes that people have about Black culture. So she told me about this one really messed up experience she had in grad school. Mm-hmm. This was about 10 years ago, and she was an art student, and she was the only person of color in her class. There was a well-known white female professor who kind of would antagonize me. Uh, But one day in particular, she put up images of lynchings. And um, she decided to call upon me and ask me how it made me feel. She said... um, I'm trying to get you out of your victimhood. I'm trying to take you, I'm sorry. I'm trying to take you out of your victimhood. And to which I replied, only only white women do that, right? That is a white savior story I have not heard before. Yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah, I know. And for Kenyatta, that idea of victimhood was like a really narrow way to define blackness. And so for her, this game is like an answer to that. It's trying to get people to think, like, how do you define blackness? And, like, what stereotypes do you hold? And she thought a really good way to do that would be to get people to play a game. Because, like, that kind of casual racism, it it comes out when you're playing a game in a really relaxed setting like that. Mm. So she hired some people to help her write teaching guides that laid out basically how to play trading races in a classroom. Interesting. School about to be lit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I had some of the same type of skepticism that I could hear in your guys' voices. Like, (laughs) um, so I asked her if I could talk to one of the teachers she's working with. And she put me in touch with one. His name is Prentice Danzler. He's a sociology professor at Colorado College in Colorado Springs. And, yes, he is black. Okay. Okay. It's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good start. Um, but he teaches a mostly white class, and the name of the class is Inequality in the U.S. For the majority of them, they're all like from kind of upper middle or upper income brackets. So very wealthy students. I saw it and I was like, oh, this would be perfect for class. This is Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> So Prentice has a really different background from most of his students. He's black. He's a first-generation college student. He's pretty new to Colorado. He actually grew up in West Philly. Mm. But he kind of relates to his students because he's young like them. He's actually 29. Oh, wow. Wait, really? He's cool. He's teach. Yeah. He's definitely teach. So, like, he really likes playing videos for his class. He said he uh, made them watch Tip Drill, like the oh Nelly. The Nelly. <laughs> Why did he do that? <laughs> what? Because I'm all about making them feel uncomfortable and getting them to think differently than they're kind of traditionally trained to. Yeah. At one point, we watched music videos, like all the movie, all these videos that used to come on, like BET Uncut back in the day. So oh just like, and then just have a conversation like, all right, is this oppressive? Is this offensive? What does it mean to be oppressive or offensive? I know. <laughs> I'm dying to see the syllabus. I'm dying to see the syllabus. So he sees trading races as just like another thing in his tool belt to help these students open up in a conversation about race. So when we talk about different things like how race is constructed, socially constructed, and 
what does it mean to be black or what is blackness? Um, I think it's interesting for me to just see how kind of like white students deal with that. So what's your like dream conversation that comes as a result of a trading races game? Uh, I kind of, I think my perfect situation is the students be like, well, there is no real definition of blackness. And so it's really hard to really have these conversations because I don't know what, what I'm talking about. And I think that's the point to get across. Like blackness can be, it's not a monolithic thing. Like just race is not a monolithic thing. So it's almost like you want them to, like, start playing the game and then realize that they can't play the game. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that that sounds optimistic. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, like, I, that would be something where, like, I have to, you know, you can tell me a pig, a pig can fly, but until I see it, you know what I'm saying, I'm not going to believe it. Well, we can't see it, but we can listen to it. Ooh. Because I got Prentice to let us record his class playing the game. Woo! Goddamn, am I curious? Yeah, I am way with some bated <laughs> breath. <laughs> yeah. And I will play you what it sounded like after the break. Welcome back. So we're going to go inside this college classroom where they're playing trading races. And I found someone to help us record the conversation. His name is Jake Brownell. He's a reporter in Colorado. He's also a white guy. I figured he'd be able to get more of a kind of open and honest reaction in a classroom that's mostly white kids. So Jake is going to help me fill in some of the details of the story. And I'm going to play you some moments from the game That really stood out to me. Okay. Okay. So some quick setup for you guys. This class, Inequality in the U.S., it's pretty small. About 18 students were in class the day we recorded. And they're mostly white women. There's one black woman, one Asian American woman, and one Asian American man. So Jake, our reporter, he arrives to class early on a Friday morning. So I walk in, get set up in this classroom, which is kind of a, a, a small classroom with um, tables kind of arrayed in a square around the whole room. So there's a big kind of open space in the middle, very much not the sort of typical professor at the front of a class and then students in a stadium seating lecture hall. The only thing that the students know is that they're going to be playing a game at the end of class. So Prentice gives this lecture about race and inequality, and then he splits up the students into four groups. And he pulls out the cards. Look at those ominous little cards. They're ominous. All right. So here we go. So we're going to talk about blackness for, I don't know, half an hour or something. And the job of your team is to really come up with a definition for blackness. And I'm going to give you cards with people. So Prentice has one deck, and he gives each group five random cards. And he explains the rules of the game. Basically, each team decides which card they want to play, and they have to argue for that card. And then the class has to come to a consensus on who won each round. Questions? All right, let's start. 
I would say there was a sort of general sense of queasiness in the room or, or people sort of shifting in their seats and kind of looking around uh, thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> and then there was uh, there's one, one black student in the class, uh, this woman, Lexi, and as soon as he announces it, I see her kind of shaking her head and uh, kind of grimacing. We have every round. Who's the biggest? Who's the <laughs> this is so heinous. I mean, there's so many, like, components to this. That's Lexi you just heard from. And you should know that Prentice actually gives Lexi and the rest of his students the option to sit out on conversations if they don't feel comfortable participating. But Lexi decided to opt in. It's a bold step. It is a bold step. Okay, so let's listen to how Lexi's group decides on their first card. So we have Rosa Parks, Nelson Mandela, Oprah Winfrey, Jesse Williams, and Stacey Dash. What makes one person more black than the other? Like, what is it to be black? Like, what, besides skin color, besides, like, those identifying things, like, what is... Blackness. I mean, Rosa was a big pioneer with the Montgomery bus boycotts, and Nelson Mandela did a lot with apartheid in South Africa. So that's both, like, pretty major things for the black community. <laughs> so that's really, really difficult. Yeah. What a group of cards we got. What a rough game. I feel like when people think of blackness, especially civil rights, they jump to Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. If we're looking to win the game (laughs) maybe we should go with Rosa Parks yeah alright so we pick Rosa that's horrible (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) civil rights movement apartheid how do we choose yeah Yeah. what do you do oh man what do you do but one thing that does bring me some comfort is like the you can hear the hesitancy mm-hmm. in their voices. Like, mm-hmm. they are, like, this is definitely new territory for them. So that team ends up playing Rosa Parks. Another group chooses Kenan Thompson. <laughs> I, that's great. I really love that. I don't know the other cards that were played, but that's probably the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> Another group spends, like, a ton of time trying to figure out, like, biographical details about Sojourner Truth to make their argument because they just, like, don't know a lot about her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's like, like an elementary like, school. Like, who? you should know yeah. who Sojourner Truth is. Totally. So here's how students arguing for Sojourner Truth define blackness. This is Quentin. He is the only Asian-American man so in the class. Exactly. So the term we used to, for our blackness was uh, the wonderful Wikipedia definition, explaining it as a uh, black culture and how um, cult- the cultural contributions of African-Americans to the culture of the United States, either as part or distinct from the American culture. And here's that group's argument for Sojourner Truth. Say, but there is something to say about her experience that makes her just unbelievably resilient in her blackness. Throughout her entire life, um, she has been systematically oppressed. I mean, 
obviously terrible, terrible experience. She was sexually assaulted by multiple masters. Another group made a similar argument about her being the blackest because she's resilient and brave. So Sojourner Truth ends up winning that round. And then the second round starts. So Prentice tells each group to pick another card. So they debate within their groups, and then Prentice announces each group's choice. So we have Michelle Obama, Little Kim, Iggy Azalea, Nelson Mandela. And this round kicks off the most heated exchange in the game. It all starts when this white student, Lizzie, volunteers to go first. And she starts arguing that Iggy Azalea, who is white, is the blackest card in the bunch. Admittedly, this was a conscious throwaway round, but I think I can sway some of you. Okay, so the definition of this round for us, for black culture, is the struggle against its appropriation. So Iggy Azalea doesn't exemplify black culture, but rather what is the struggle of black culture fighting against outsiders trying to come in and steal what is not rightfully theirs. Thank you. So you think she should win this round with Nelson Mandela, Little Kim, and Michelle Obama? (laughs) I'm not saying she should win. I'm just saying that you guys should think about it. And then this white student and Lexi, they start arguing against the Iggy Azalea group just argued that she is an embodiment of what is wrong with, like, white people stealing from black culture. So she's pretty much the opposite of blackness. She, she, oh yeah, you respond, Logan. That was the whole point of the argument. She just said what you just said, like, six times in a row. Yeah, and because a large part of black culture throughout history has revolved around fighting against white oppression, she is a great example of white oppression, <laughs> aka the black fight against white oppression, which is, is she? she's not the black fight, she's the white, she's <laughs> white oppression. Exactly. She's not the black fight against white oppression. She's deeply ingrained. She's deeply ingrained in black culture because they're actively fighting against her. We didn't pick the card to have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> As a black person in black culture, I would strongly disagree. Iggy Azalea is not on our on a top list of our priority. We have bigger issues. So I, I mean, I, I don't think she could win at all. I mean, you, I mean, you guys have good arguments, but no. I don't think she should win at all either. I don't believe. I, I don't believe in like. 50% of the things I've said. So, <laughs> so after that, some students in the class, they start speaking up and saying, like, you know, I'm confused. Like, I don't know if the point of this game is to vote for who has the best argument or who we actually think is the blackest. And Prentice, he's like, yeah, it's about voting for who you think is the blackest, which... Remember, actually, like, isn't his real end goal? Like, yeah. his end goal is for them to question, like, whether they should play the game. Right. And so, eventually, Nelson Mandela wins. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> I was going to say, thank God. And for the last round, Prentice flips the entire premise of the game on its head. We're going to switch this up because I just want to see how you do with this one. So instead of talking about blackness, we're going to talk about whiteness. 
Oh, are you kidding? Damn it! I'm gonna give you three cards, each group. And you're gonna determine who you think exemplifies and embodies whiteness the most. So this, you guys, is the whiteness round. Mm. And Jake had this, like, great way of describing how it all went down. That round was an opportunity for everyone, especially the white students in the class, to kind of, like, do penance for the previous two rounds. So Prentice, he takes everybody's cards, and he hands each group three new cards. And he picks cards with people who are either white or biracial or multiracial, people like Maya Rudolph, and some more controversial folks like Stacey Dash. Mm. Yeah. And in the end, the groups end up picking Rachel Dolezal. Oh, yeah. Mm. Stacey Dash, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, and Justin Bieber. Right. And... The vote comes down to, like, a battle of the two Justins. Um, Justin Bieber is obviously a very um, large music artist. Um, he's Canadian. He's uh, pretty, pretty white-looking. Um, he also uh, benefits from white privilege um, in, in affluence. I remember there was one time where he got, like, a, a DUI for driving, like, barred out or something, and, like, nothing really happened to him. All right, Justin Timberlake. We picked Justin Timberlake because all that he really has done is basically stolen black culture and made it seem white, which is basically what white people do all throughout history. They steal things and say that it's theirs. So Timberlake wins. He's the whitest by, like, one vote. And then Prentice wraps up the class. The game is over. So for me, the reason I did this, I just like playing games. Um, but for also, I wanted to see where we're at in terms of like discussing race or like culture and stuff like that. We got a long way to go. Because in a lot of different ways, you kind of constructed definitions within like these ideas of like oppression, slavery, resilience, and music. And we just need to be very mindful that blackness or black culture is not just this age old story of slavery and resilience to white people. And it's very, much more nuanced and multifaceted and multidimensional. But when you play a game, it, all that erases, and it's just like oppressor and oppressive, like privilege and resilience, intersectional and then music. There was like no other conversations getting into like more of the nuances of what it means to be black or white. The other thing is like all of you felt comfortable playing a game, which is really interesting to me. So we need to have more conversations about power and agency. So class ends and students start leaving for the weekend and Jake pulls aside Lexi. What do you think of the game today? I thought it was really funny just seeing how my white classmates like would describe blackness because usually in class a lot of the white students kind of tiptoe around race. So I think this game made them feel a little bit more comfortable with talking about it. I, I saw you kind of like shaking your head and sort of like grimacing a, a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, even though I wasn't surprised, a lot of the comments were still pretty ignorant. So o overall, are you glad you guys played this game, or did you not like it, or what did you think? I thought the game was fun. I'm really, I really want to play it with um, all black people and see how the dynamic changes. I followed up with Prentice via email a few weeks back, 
And he said he wants to play it with his students again next year. Like, even though he didn't quite get to where he wanted to be with them, he did say, like, he felt like it got them talking more freely about all the difficult topics that you could come across when you're talking about inequality in the U.S. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what you guys thought. (laughs) You know what? That actually—I mean, first of all, like, I— I had much lower expectations of how this was going to go. And then I was really impressed with Prentice. Yeah. The way that he sort of created, like, the most normal context possible to be able to make the game work. There's something to the fact that there's so much structure, like the fact that a game has rules. Yeah. I appreciate that in that particular context, the game allowed the students to behave almost as if they how they would have behaved outside of a classroom, Mm. you know? A lot of the work that needs to happen is in those more informal conversations and spaces. That said, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like listening to that opens up so many more questions uh, in terms of like what what is supposed to happen in in a classroom, who's it supposed to happen for, and maybe like at whose expense. I just wanted to, like, put my arm around Lexi, like, the whole time. No, seriously. I have been Lexi. (laughs) I felt Lexi. We've all been Lexi. I felt Lexi's pain. When you are the lone black student, when you are the Franklin, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You have to speak for all black people, right? You, like, become the de facto expert. You have to sit and sort of listen to that and feel vulnerable and feel kind of, like, sometimes wounded, you know what I mean, in those spaces. The thing that... I appreciate it in this in this particular situation. It's like Prentice was able to kind of call them out gently on their shit. But there are just a lot of teachers out there who are not equipped to do this type of stuff. Like Kenyatta's teacher. Yeah. I actually asked her about that. If you could go back in time to grad mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. and trading races was a thing. Would you play it with your white teacher and your grad school classmates? Um, <laughs> the petty in me says my white professor would be too busy trying to save them all, save everybody on the car. Um, but uh, I mean, I would be open to it. It's really dependent upon who's facilitating it. So there are people kind of like your white teacher who you would not want to lead that discussion. I would want to support them (laughs) uh, in a very uh, intentional way. I still worry about the idea of, you know, people getting too comfortable with defining blackness. You know, like, like even on, on this show, you know, we, we treat blackness as a very broad category. I just worry about people, like, coming away feeling like, you know, I really nailed blackness today. <laughs> I wouldn't say, like, add it to the Common Core. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. I agree with this. You wouldn't say add it to I the Common Core. I would not say add it to the Common Core. It needs to say, I, I mean, I'd still play it at Thanksgiving. Just not with me. 
Just now with you. <laughs> Sorry, Kate. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just be eating the turkey. The Nod is produced by me, Brittany Luce, with Eric Eddings, Kate Parkinson Morgan, James T. Green, and Emmanuel Barry. Additional reporting and production assistance this week from Jake Brownell. Our senior producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. We are edited by Annie Rose Strasser with editing help from Noel Kane. Special thanks to Devin Taylor and Jasmine Romero. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Engineering from Cedric Wilson. Our theme music and additional show music are by Khalid B. And a big thank you to Professor Prentice Dantzler and all his students for allowing us to record their class. <laughs>